community. God, help us and lead us in this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, and as you are seated, uh, please turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis. Today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, uh, please uh, grab a Bible off that back wall. It's great to follow along visually and to write in, take notes, and, uh, and, and just the observations is there. We, we love the written word. I think I should have said earlier that if you have children three and four and they would like to attend our junior worship, they are invited to participate in that in room 134. So we're going to be in Genesis, Genesis chapter 20. And we'll do the whole chapter, verses 1 through 18. This is God's word. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man. Because the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you have done this, the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, Why, What have you done to us, and how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother." Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated." Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to this text, we do pray, Lord, that you would help us to see your great plan the plan you had in redemption, but also your plan and purpose and call for us as we apply your scripture to our lives, as we think through the difficult things that we face this week, this month, this year. Father, being able to see it and to, to apply these things, Father, that we can honor and glorify you, that we can know you. You can help us work through the issues that we face, 
Thank you that you've given us a word. Thank you you've given us something to walk so that we can walk with you through life. Father, and we do pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I called my sermon today, Serving God in a Dog-Eat-Dog World, um, as just I realized how this passage makes a connection with so many other things that we experience. Um, I was looking up what does dog-eat-dog mean, and, you know, describes uh, the fierce competition in which people are willing to harm one another in order to succeed. It comes from a, a Latin proverb, which says that a dog does not eat the flesh of a dog. In other words, there are things that not even dogs would do that sometimes people will do uh, to one another. And I'm wondering if you've ever experienced that. Have you ever experienced um, someone taking advantage of you? Maybe to get ahead? Maybe with little regard how it affects your life. The attitude that if uh, I have to crush someone to get ahead, that I'm going to go ahead and do that. It starts at young ages, right? Even on the playground. But it finds a place in the workplace, finds a place in community life, political life. Uh, sadly, it finds places in marriages, even in churches. Um, and when we're there, we always need to consider this, is what do we do when this happens? What do we do when we find ourselves on the wrong end of someone else's efforts to get ahead? When they push us down in their efforts to move up, elevating themselves by, by uh, bringing us down. There are two basic responses. One is to escape, and the other is to attack. When we escape, we just want to get away from the problem and to not deal with it. There are times when we just attack. We want to take somebody down um, for the way they've hurt us. We're going to go ahead and hurt them back or take them down a notch. Well, Jesus talks about how we deal with our problems and how we deal with some of the offenses we receive at others. Luke chapter 6 and verses 27 through 31, he talks to us about dealing with enemies. And we can read what he says here. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So this is a challenging passage. In fact, some people said this is one of the most challenging passages I've ever read. Treat my enemies in this way? With that way that they've treated me? Now, how do we do this? And as we look at Genesis 20, I think we see a really good example. We look at a king named Abimelech and the things that he did, taking advantage of a couple named Abraham and Sarah, and how in this situation, he calls them to, to reconciliation. And it shows what reconciliation requires and what also reconciliation looks like. Now, before I start, because I think this is one of those issues where one person takes advantage of another, I want to be clear that, that, in, that this does not speak to every matter of abuse, every matter of bad behavior, every matter of violence which may exist inside of a, inside of a home or inside of a workplace or might ins, inside of a nation with persecuted believers. It doesn't deal with 
every area there. And, and there are short-term situations we need to address problems and to get in a safe place that we can honor the Lord out of a safe place. There are times we need to get out of conflict to get uh, you know, our bearings and be able to address it in a way that honors God. But what this passage does is to show what reconciliation can look like when two parties want to come together um, to deal with that. So it points to things that we want to see happen. All right, so the first thing we want to see in our passage is to know that God will hold all people accountable. First point, know that God will hold all people accountable. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, from there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. He sojourned to Gerar. And Abraham said of his, Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, we've seen something like this. We saw it back in Genesis chapter 12, where uh, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, traveled to Egypt. And as they traveled there, they also said that they were brother-sister. And, and apparently, this was a regular pattern. They explained uh, why they did it. If you look down at verse 11, 11 through 13, just to remember what he says. Verse 11, Abraham said, I did this, said that she was my sister, because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. They'll kill him, they'll kill his family, and so he saw it as a matter of self-protection, and not only for himself, but also for those around him. Verse 12, besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife, so she is indeed his, his half-sister. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. And so she's agreed to this, to this pattern for themselves, for their safety, for their well-being, and that's the pattern they have. And we, we see it a couple times through the um, through the, the, story, the testimony of, of Abraham's life. Now, Abimelech, on the other side, he was the king of Gerar. We see that. Uh, Abimelech in, in itself is a term for king. Literally means king, like Pharaoh meant king. And someone like Abimelech was a person who thought he had the power and the authority to do as he pleased inside of his land. Abraham and Sarah, in, in understanding the rules of the land and the common practices of the land, uh, they relied on... Um, this, this law, this rule, that if, that if a king or anybody wanted to bring a woman into their house, that they had to deal with the family instead. And so for Abraham to say that, he, that Sarah is his sister um, w- would ultimately point to anybody who wanted to uh, bring Sarah into their home to marry them or whatever, that they would have to work through the brother instead. Now, if we look at our text here, we see that Abimelech did no such thing. No consultation of Abraham, no consultation of Sarah. It says simply that he took Sarah into his home. There's something that's going on here. Sarah is 90 years old. I don't know why he's drawing her in. Is is she wonderfully beautiful? And he wants her to be part of his house. Is there something of the promise that she can still have children? So he wants her in the house for that. Or, or, Or is it a power play over Abraham? to show who really is who in charge of this land in which Abraham is sojourning. Now, I'm not entirely sure here. It doesn't tell us, but, but we see that he did not consult Abraham and Sarah. He did not consult the Lord in prayer. 
And he did not consult the customs or the laws of his own land. He takes Sarah into his home just by an exertion of his, his will. And so in verse 3, we see that the Lord has a problem with this. Verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. For one thing, he's about to commit adultery. He's taken another man's wife. He's stolen Sarah from Abraham. He's abusing her by taking her out of the home. And so God is angry, and God's about to take him out. It's a good picture of why God, of good picture of God's hatred of adultery, and the problem of it. Gives him a dream in order to warn what's to come. But something which is gravely significant as well, and that this this man, as he takes her into his home, was getting in the way of God's plans and purposes. God had promised Abraham and Sarah they were going to have a child, and Isaac had not yet been born. And so Abimelech puts himself in, in, in between God and his purposes, and, if, um, and God is declaring to him that his plans will not be thwarted by a little guy like Abimelech. Abimelech thought that he was something, but he was nothing. Nothing compared to the Lord. He had no right to take Sarah in his own home. He had no right to thwart God's plan. No right to thwart his purposes. None of us have a right to sin against God. As much as we might think and try to justify our sins, to excuse us because of our position in life, our desires, bad treatment of others, we never have a right to sin. No government has a right to sin either. Something important for us to remember on this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Even leaders of nations are bound by the moral laws of God. Violate them only causes trouble. So what does Abimelech then do in response to his dream? Look at verses 4 and 5. Verse 4, now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. So Abimelech had started on a path by bringing Sarah into his home. But he had not yet approached her, and so things were not as bad as they could have been. And God, in his mercy, stops him before uh, things get worse. And he redirects him onto another path. Now, did Abimelech really do anything wrong? I mean, he justifies himself as innocent. He's not approached Sarah. And she had told him that she was Abraham's sister. And the Lord seems to recognize that, that many of Abimelech's actions were done in ignorance. But for him to continue in the same path would lead to destruction. Verse 6, God said to him in the dream, yes, no, yes, I know, God says, that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So his actions may have been done in ignorance, but he's still in great danger, should he move forward. God had stopped him from sinning. He'd given him a warning. The question is, would Abimelech obey once what we know we're doing is wrong, um, our accountability goes way up. And so it's commanded to restore her honor, put her back in her home. But it's more than just making things right. 
in terms of restoring to where it was before. He actually needs to seek prayer from Abraham. The Lord tells him that Abraham is a prophet, that he speaks on behalf of God, that, that Abimelech needs to seek God's blessing through him. He needed more than just to do the right actions. He needed Abraham's prayer to be okay. Without uh, returning Sarah, without getting prayer, um, he would not live. There's an important thing for us to remember as we go through this, that God knows when violence happens. He knows the places of abuse, places of persecution, places of oppression. And he holds those who perpetrate this level of violence accountable. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, 17 through 19. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. When we're hurt by others, our immediate response we want to do is to hurt them back. Right? But we need to remember that God knows that God will hold others accountable. We don't have to always extract punishment away from others, but we can trust the Lord will do that in his time. We seek, do we seek justice? Yeah, there are, it's important to do those things. But we also realize that vengeance is in the hands of God, and we allow him to do those things in his time and in his way. So in this case, we see Abimelech. He gets warned by the Lord, and his conscience is pricked. And so, what's he going to do? And so we see in verse 8 the change that he makes. All right, verse 8 starts us in our second point, which is for us to look for times that God brings conviction. We see a change. We see a repentance on Abimelech's part. He turns away from the sin. Leaves him genuinely convicted. Verse 8, Abimelech rose early in the morning. He didn't waste any time. He called all his servants, everybody who's giving advice and counsel. He told them all these things. What was their response? The men were very much afraid. See, by God's grace, um, Abimelech believed this message. He knows he's in trouble, and he wants to make things right. You know, ultimately, uh, true repentance starts in knowing that we have offended against God. It's not just that Abimelech had sinned against, uh, you know, was, was sinning against Abraham and his, by taking his wife, but there was a sin that was moving forward, which was against the Lord himself and the Lord's plans. So Abimelech goes to Abraham. He identifies the source of misunderstanding as we look at verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us, and how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to have been done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? I can't help but see that he blames Abraham for his decision to take Sarah, for putting his life and the good of his kingdom at risk. He was bothered that Abraham and Sarah said they were brother and sister instead of husband and wife. Ultimately, he's saying that his sin against Abraham was because Abraham's sin against him. Now, the Lord, though, he requires Abimelech to go speak to Abraham, to go set the record straight. He requires him to have that conversation, one that he wasn't interested in having. Part of reconciliation with others is often to have a conversation which we just don't want to get started. It's to clear up misunderstanding. It's to address our concerns and then when somebody does that, or when we do it to others, is we're going to sit and we're going to listen. We're going to understand what's happening here. We might be wrong. We need to stay humble, to ask questions, 
But, you know, we need to talk about those things. Now, so Abimelech, he doesn't take any responsibility for his own fault, at least to this point, but, but God holds him accountable. One thing that's important to note in this is that, is that God never condemns Abraham's actions here. I mean, many commentators are quick to, to judge Abraham for lying, even though the Bible doesn't do that. You know, but, Abraham, but Abimelech is in a lot of trouble. Now, our application point here is that there are times that God will convict people of sin. And sometimes we have to wait for that to happen. We have to wait until God brings that conviction upon people's heart. We pray. We pray that God would change their hearts. Sometimes we pray, God, just help them be miserable until they come back to you. Until they see the, the consequences of their sin. Until they see that they're headed in a very, very bad direction. We pray that they would know how they've hurt us and affected us, that God would maybe give us a chance to speak into the lives and the situation. Some people never come to repentance, but oftentimes God does bring that conviction. Something impresses on the hearts, consequences of their actions. Maybe that's you. And maybe you have a conviction of something that you've done that you need to be restored with. You know, you need to make things right with the people around you. It's a, now's the time to act. Work to reconcile things the way you've offended others. Abimelech has to go to Abraham. All right, so let's move on to our last point. God has instructions for Abimelech, but he also has instructions for Abraham. Abraham is one of God's people, and, and God is showing him that God's people have an important role to play inside of the world. And we call that the ministry of reconciliation. That's our third point. As we live in this world, this doggy dog world, we see we have a ministry of reconciliation. So look at verse 14, Bimelech trying to make things right with Abraham, Sarah, and with, with the Lord. Verse 14, Bimelech took sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah's wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. So Abimelech wants to make sure that things are right. And he showers Abraham with gifts. And he makes him even more wealthy than he is. He promises free use of the land from here on out. Right, And all of this is quite a concession from Abimelech. All of it addresses his concern. He knows the danger that he's in. He believes that God is, uh, that he believes God's threat to him. Reminds me of a schoolyard bully who experienced an awful set of circumstances in his life. After divorce and unemployment, just looking back at his life, you know, he, he just traced it back and said, you know, I need, I've had this pattern in my life of, of bullying and taking advantage of people. And he, and he looked up a, an old kid from his high school on Facebook and, and reached out to him and said, you know, it, a lot of it starts with you, with the way I treated you, and I want to make things right with you. His conscience was pricked. He realized the consequences of his actions. Now, Bimelech is really trying to vindicate himself from all the accusations he wants uh, people to think he's done nothing wrong, and by, by paying all this money out, it was going to prove that he's really innocent. And there is a point that when we offend others, we need to make things right. What about you? Have you made things right with those that you need to make right with? But the most important part of this passage in verses 17 and 18, 
Verse 17, then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves, so they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So just like God desires him to, Abraham prays for Abimelech, and God heals him and his whole nation. So in the end, God makes a powerful statement to Abimelech that if he wants God's blessing, he needs to be reconciled with God. It's not just that Abraham, or that it's not just that Abimelech needs to make things right with Abraham. He needs to be reconciled to God. He needs Abraham's prayer. It's like King David in Psalm 51, even after he had done all these awful things and sinned against a great many of people. He says this. He says, "Against you, Lord, you only have I sinned." And we need reconciliation with God, as well as with the people that we've offended. Strangely, as Abimelech was about ready to bring Sarah into his house, disrupt this plan of God to bring Isaac in the world, and Isaac's descendants all the way down, all the way down to Jesus Christ. In effect, Abimelech was really putting himself in terms of God-redemptive plans for his own life, for any chance that he or any of his descendants would ever have to be forgiven. He was coming right in the middle of that. That's where God intervenes. That's where God stops. And God gives Abraham then this powerful role to play for the nations. He wants him to pray for the nations. Abraham's showing that the Lord is the true God. If you remember in Genesis chapter 12, we saw that God, that Abraham would be a blessing to the nations. He'd pray for the nations. He'd be a prophet to the nations. He would show them the Lord. And through his line, eventually, Jesus Christ would come as a savior. Now, do you know that God still has that plan and purpose for us as, as his people? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to spend a moment over there. So I'd be good to turn there. We'll start in verse 18. But God has a plan and purpose for us. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. The thing that God called Abram to do back then is still something we do. Verse 18 says this. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What do we mean by this ministry of reconciliation? Look at verse 19. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. You know, the ministry of reconciliation is about Jesus. It's about him coming into the world to forgive sins. This descendant of Abraham, a descendant of Isaac, who was not to be if this plan wasn't thwarted, but Jesus would come in to bring us into a relationship with God. Right? If God was to live at peace with his people, there was forgiveness that was needed. And that's our biggest need, the biggest need of every person that we know, the need to be reconciled with God. It's not something that we can buy. Bimelech brings in a lot of money to show that he was innocent, paid all this money for Abraham to pray for him, but the salvation that comes from God is a free gift of grace. It comes through Jesus Christ. And once a person is reconciled to God, they're given a ministry, a ministry of reconciliation. 
See, Abraham was drawn in. God called him to himself. And then here he has him to pray. A reconciling prayer between Abimelech and, and God. That's the same thing for you and me. I mean, has God reconciled you to himself? Has he forgiven your sins? Do you know the joy of your forgiven sins? To be part of the people of God, to be adopted as family, to have the hope of heaven? But you too have a ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He uses that word ambassador here. You know, whenever we're carrying a message for someone else, we are an ambassador. And as the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.20, he reminds us that we're in a special spot. Like Abraham was with Abimelech, like Paul was with the Corinthians. If you know the grace and the mercy of God, that you are a messenger of grace and mercy to the people around you. You remember the mission of an ambassador, right? We have, our nation has ambassadors all around the world. And wherever those ambassadors go, they don't speak on their own behalf. They don't speak to their own interests. They speak to the interests of the nation. That's what makes them an effective ambassador, effective messenger. So Abraham, where he is, he's not in a spot to hold a grudge, to get back of Abimelech. He's supposed to pray. He's supposed to show that the Lord is the true God. Now, what about you? Are you doing the mission that God has for you? Are you helping people to be reconciled with God? That's, the, that's a great work that the Lord has before us. So think about, again, that person who's offended you, stepped on your toes or stabbed you in the back. You know, would you pray for them? I mean, reconciliation with that person is not possible without them making some effort to make things right. That's true. Was there some bit of repentance or, or change? But you can pray that God would change their heart like he changed Abimelech's heart. You can pray that God would change your heart to make you open to forgive and to interact. Pray they be reconciled to God. You don't know what's going to happen. You might be the person to help them back to God. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Over this week, I was uh, reading a little bit of, uh, from an author named Richard Wormbrand. He's more than an author. I mean, he was a pastor in Romania under Soviet uh, rule. Um, and he was imprisoned uh, for over 14 years and just horrible tortures. He experienced horrible tortures in his life. He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. It's really probably, it's one of those books that I almost think every Christian should have on their bookshelf uh, just to see. Now, it's horrible. It's hard to read because the enormous pain and suffering that he endured through that. Yeah, there's really something hopeful that he writes through all this time as he kept his hope fixed on Christ and on this ministry of reconciliation. He talks occasionally about, about guards who have been converted to Christ. He, uh, people persecuted him come to Christ. But greater than that, it was his, just his vision that Romania, that the Soviet Union, these, these communist leaders who, who just oppressed and were so violent and so evil towards him, that they would know the Lord Jesus Christ as well. He had this statement which really stunned me. He said this, he said, as these leaders, as these communist leaders who were persecuting the Church of Christ, he said, as, as they allowed no place for Jesus in their hearts, I decided I would leave not the smallest place for Satan in my heart. They had no place for Jesus in their heart, but he says, I decided I would leave not the smallest place for Satan in mine. 
And that's the same for us. We need love for our enemies, love for those who would mistreat us. It's a reminder that we need to pray, even as our political leaders do wrong, even as Christians are persecuted, even they're treated badly like Abimelech, just, just totally ran over Abraham. As a church, as people, we have a ministry of reconciliation. As Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, 27, when he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, we do it even with our enemies. Something, again, which I mentioned earlier, seems impossible to do. It's contrary to our nature, contrary to what happens in the world. But that's exactly what God did for us in Jesus Christ. That's the knowledge that makes the seemingly impossible thing possible. I mean, we're like Abimelech in so many ways. We've sinned against God. We've offended others. We've made all kinds of excuses for our behavior. We've tried to earn God's favor instead of resting in his grace. So God did the work of reconciling by sending Jesus to fulfill all righteousness, to die on a cross, to rise again from the dead, to ascend into heaven. And there he is. He's praying. He's praying for his people, even at the right hand of God. So if you know the joy of reconciliation with God, that reconciliation came because of the work of Jesus, right? He gave you a new heart. He gave you new love. I mean, that's the gospel. It's not based on what we've done. It doesn't require us to bring a gigantic gift of sacrifice because the ultimate sacrifice has already been made. We need to see the need of our Savior. And that what makes, that's what makes us then into a reconciler for others. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And we help others to know that they can be forgiven as well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know what it is, looks like to be taken advantage of, people pushing us down to put themselves up. Father, we ask for your forgiveness because we've done it ourselves. But we pray, Father, as we experience those things as individuals, as your church on earth, God, would you impress on us our own ministry of reconciliation? Would you remind us that we are ambassadors? Would you remind us that we have good news of how people can be restored to you? And Father, as we are faithful to that, we ask that you'd bless it to bring those who are far away from you near to you, that they may know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand together. Our